Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It's Tuesday, February 13, 2024. Stephen St. John, Nate Bucati, and Jay Gutierrez. So I, I do think it's been interesting to hear from people, read some uh, read some discussions going on on social media about the uh, the bump and the yelling that we saw between Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid. And look, it, it, in the heat of the moment, when it happened, the way it was shown, it wasn't a good look, you know? Um, and look, and I'm, 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 well, this city's full of them, but I've, I've long been a Travis Kelsey apologist, you know, from him getting thrown out of games, him giving the old stroke in motion to the official, you know. <laughs> All the things he's done, you know. Throwing just, his towel at a referee. All of it, you know. <laughs> Third flag. Hey, look, I'm old enough to to remember listening on these airways when I was told the Chiefs can't win with a guy like Travis Kelsey. That comment did not age well <laughs> no. at all. Incorrect. And so I, you know... I feel like I always end up defending Kelsey, and he didn't need me to defend him. He's the greatest tight end in the history of the world. Back when I started that debate with Jeff Chidea, what, four or five years ago, you know, I'm, it, it's easy to make that argument now. But I, I, I would have people like Jeff, that, hey, he's entitled to his opinion, resisting me when I would say, oh, he's the greatest tight end in Chiefs history. Mm-hmm. What about Tony? You know, what about him? Kelsey's the greatest tight end in Chiefs history now. I mean, anybody want to argue that? I mean, come on. What this man has done, he's going to end up being the most prolific pass catcher in the history of the NFL postseason. And if somehow he comes up short, the only guy that will be ahead of him is Jerry Rice, who is the GOAT. There will never be a greater wide receiver. And I, and I, and I, I do say never. Because I'm going to look at my life. There will never be a greater wide receiver than Jerry Rice. The, what he did, even at an advanced age, go back and look at it. He was unbelievable. And I know and, and we're old enough now to where we just assume people watch Jerry Rice. You know, there's a lot of young NFL fans that didn't get the opportunity to watch him. You guys, you guys know, hey, look, there are plenty of great wide receivers. But Jerry Rice is the GOAT. He's the best. Do you agree? I don't think there's any comparison, especially when it comes to when we're talking about postseason production and all. I mean, his shoot his, his regular season production was second Look to none. Well, but season, but he's just, yeah. unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I think. I think that. And, yeah. and, and so, just to just to say that that's you know that's that's who he's chasing right now. That's it. And in some, and in some categories, he's, he's caught him like catches. He caught him. He passed him. What? Um. But, you know, I had someone send me a message. Have you guys talked about this yet? This was unacceptable. What a, what a, what a terrible example for kids watching. There were a lot of people mad about it. I just, I, I, I wasn't, you know, and I feel like if, if you are concerned about how your kids 
reacted to it in regards to them being athletes, it's a great teaching moment. Pull them aside and say, don't ever do that to your coach. Or if you become the greatest of of your position in the history of the football Maybe game. Maybe you can get away with it. It's exactly right. what I said to my son. Right. <laughs> right. I said, if you become the yeah. greatest, the history of the world, that whatever you do, you'll get away with more. And then, yeah. and then is that's the only okay, okay time to do it. And it's still not okay. Like, if you, like, <laughs> anything that you know, Michael Jordan ever did. Was because he's a winner. He's because of his yeah. passion. Yeah, because he's an ultimate competitor. He, and, but you can do stuff like that if you're Michael Jordan and you got the rings and the trophies, right? Say Tom Brady, Tom Brady airing out Bill O'Brien mm-hmm. or Josh McDaniels. You know, <laughs> oh, look how bad this guy wants to win. Yeah. Look at that competitive straw. Oh, my God, look at him. All he does is what he doesn't care, you, you know, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This this got a different reaction. But there's only a few people that really want to hear what they have to say about it. And one of them is Tom Brady. Yeah. Because Tom Brady is at a certain level of greatness. Yep. And Tom Brady got caught on camera doing this a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To players, to coaches, assistant coaches, offensive coordinators. And he wanted the highest level repeatedly. Yeah. So on his podcast that was released last night, Let's Go, which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to because I like to hear what he has to say. He has, Whether you like him or not, he has an incredible football mind. It's Jim Gray. Tom Brady and Larry Fitzgerald. And so this topic came up and I thought it was like there's some people like I don't like I'm I'm sorry, I don't I don't care what you have to say about Travis Kelsey and what he did. It's not relevant. Right. I care I want to hear what Tom Brady had to say about it. Right? Is yeah. It, okay. Consider the source, as my old man always says. All right, Steve Bucati, if you're out there, let's listen to Tom Brady and Jim Gray and Larry Fitzgerald discussing what occurred between Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid. Certainly the Chiefs had had a lot of things on their shoulders all season. It was There was always some drama and there's always something going on to question them. But those guys showed a lot of mental toughness and you could see why they fought through it. Tough game, down in the game, needed to, took the lead, gave up the lead, tied the lead, overtime, lost the lead, gained the lead. So it's, it speaks to what that organization is doing right. So I got nothing but respect for everything that those guys accomplished as a team. It's awesome. And, and Jim, I mean, I, like we don't have a rooted interest in it, but then you you fall back on the personal relationships that you have. And, you know, Andy came on the show twice this year, two times. Yeah. Um, and to see him up there and, you know, just coaching his ass off still, you know, and, and still loving it just as much as he is chest bumping with Travis Kelsey. You know, I don't know who was chest bumping who. But like, <laughs> is that what we're going to call see, that? No, I'm saying you can see the love and the fire in this man, uh, and it's still and it's still burning, burning hot as ever in his belly. Um, and it, it's to see that, uh, like I, that, I pull for I pull for those type of those type of type of stories. And man, he's got he's got so much to give. I think he's got I think he's got some more run- runway. Okay, we're gonna uh, briefly pause this because I just remember there's an f bomb by Tom Brady here. Oh, nice. And so I asked Jake if he caught that, and uh, thankfully I remember that. It's when they talk about Latrell Sprewell 
and him being a Warriors fan and how what what he felt that did to the season there. So, how about that? The Charles Sprewell did a lot more than bump a kid. Right, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But they, 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 you'll hear it. With yeah. John, with Jim Gray says it's not like what happened between Latrell Sprewell yeah. yeah. and you know and, and Brady. Brady, he's he's listening to it right now. Goes, well, yeah, I was a Warriors fan back then, and I knew we were effed <laughs> that season when that happened. So <laughs> it's funny. I'm taking away from the moment, but yeah, I totally forgot to. Tell Jake to PJ Carlissimo, right? Yeah, to to beep the f bomb. So, ah. but and 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 again, I don't know why, but I, but I like hearing Brady talk about how much yeah. he respects the Chiefs and what they're doing. Yeah, I want to hear Joe Montana talk about. It. I want to hear the greats talk about this great. You know what I mean? It's just something that I don't know. It just gets. Yeah, I mean, we good. We're good. But, and, by the way, PJ PJ Carlisma is a good dude. I've, I've worked some some basketball games with him. Before. Did you ever try to? Choke I did not. Him? Okay, I did well, not. Never, some, you never. Like, you, I'm, I'm tired. Of, you know, nothing. Bought like, me a couple of beers one time. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, let's. I didn't, uh, I didn't try to choke him. About right. It, though. Let's hear. Let's hear more from <laughs> Tom Brady, Larry Fitzgerald, and, and uh, Jim Gray. Tommy, there's an emotion in the game. I guess when you have 120 million folks watching something, you know, it hits everybody differently. That just seemed normal to me, just having been around sports, you know. Um, it, this wasn't this wasn't uh, Latrell Sprewell co- uh, choking <laughs> C.J. Carlissimo. P.J. Carlissimo. I was a Warriors fan at that time, too. That really, I, was, I, I knew our season was felt then. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, and I guess it's a big deal, but it just didn't seem like a big deal. <laughs> There's always little family issues, and, you know, I, I – of course, I don't mind seeing it, you know, because I, I was a part of a lot of those things. You're thinking emotions are so high. You are definitely not centered and balanced. You're not in a meditative state at that point. You are fully determined to go after and to win. So I think a lot of the things that are said during the games, people should just let them fly off their back. And I actually think Coach Reed handled it just awesome like he always does because he just said, you know, uh, I, I was a little off balance and, you know, Travis is, is such a competitor, and I love that because it just speaks to, you know, his his leadership ability. Because some coaches get so sensitive and, oh, you embarrassed me and you did that. And, man, you're, you know, you're a competitor, you're an athlete. And you get out there and you've had the credibility that Travis has and you've had that all-pro experience and you've won Super Bowls. And, you, 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 you know, I know certain players – that would die to come off the field in those moments. I mean, Julian Edelman was a great example. Uh, when I played with Randy in the 07 Super Bowl, I mean, we didn't want to take them off for one play. And they're thinking, if we're going down, I'm out here every play trying to contribute. I doubt Fitzy came out when it mattered the most in any big game. So that's when your team needs you the most, and that's, I think, Travis was just trying to con- to convey. Yeah, I mean, when you get after Bill O'Brien or Josh McDaniels, you love those guys. It's just, yeah. it's just a moment. It's just in the battle. It's it's a. How come the fans don't can't don't understand that, or how come it's made into something it's not? Because most of the people have never competed on this stage before, Jim. So they don't have they don't have anything to base it off of. You know, if you haven't competed at the highest level when when everybody is watching with all the mar- for all the marbles, it's hard for you to be able to to say like what are they thinking? You know, because they can't they just can't relate to it. No, and I think too it's um because a lot of it's out of context. They they don't understand the context of that moment from a player coach standpoint. As Fitzy said, they haven't necessarily been in that situation. So 
I've been heated a lot. Fitzy's been heated a lot. You know, you, you there's a lot of things we probably said that never went to air in the Super Bowl. They go from 45 cameras at the game to 145 cameras at the game. So you can't pick your nose without them seeing absolutely everything. And I know they'd probably see that one anyway, but, you know, a lot of these things get blown out of proportion. I'm just happy that the coaches and the players don't, and they just moved on and got to what the meat of the game was, which was a great performance and a great team win. And that's all anyone should be talking about today anyway. Jim, you know, a, the, the people you get into the most battles with are the people you love the most. And if you ask me who have I fought the most in my life, is my brother. You know what I mean? Like, you, you grow up with somebody sleeping in the same bed, sharing a room. Like, there's, there's going to be issues. And you, you've been in a, you've been coached by the same guy for many years. And, like, he, you, he understands you. You understand him. And, like, if you go a little bit further than you probably should, they understand because they love you. You know, and that's, that, that's to be expected. And I think it, 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 what the other thing it shows me is, again, I spoke about Coach Reed is in, in Travis, but, like, it's, it speaks to the self-confidence that Coach Reed has in himself, too. Because he doesn't take that personally at all. He doesn't look at that and feel like someone offended him. or He takes it for what it is and doesn't make it more than it is and doesn't see like someone's trying to belittle him. He's not trying to – Travis not trying to do any of those things. He's just trying to be fired up and stay in the moment. And, and you could see the level of intensity he had in the pregame, during the game, in the postgame when he was singing Viva Las Vegas. I mean, he was on fire last night. So, you know, he gets to go out there and – you know, to the victory go the to the victor goes the spoils and, and, and they, they had it going. I like what Tom Brady and Larry Fitzgerald had to say there about the situation. Nate BKD, I've heard, already heard that two or three times. That's your first time hearing it. Yep. What's your reaction? Yeah, man, I mean it makes perfect sense. Um look, there were a lot of instances through the course of this year where we saw guys losing their temper on the sideline, right? We were talking about it, you know, I mean you had so guys losing their temper in training camp. Well, yeah. <laughs> guys named Travis. Right. <laughs> and but I mean we saw we saw Andy Reid you know trying to it was it Allen that was trying to you know walk the the helmet and he's he's blocking it like to Kimbe Mutombo, yeah. you know. And he's bumping Travis. I hate to bring it up again, but you know why Andy had to do some of that stuff? Because Eric Bieniemy's not there. Because Bieniemy was the guy that always did that stuff. And, and you know what? How many times did you see Kelsey and Bieniemy have to be separated? Kelsey would have probably bumped Bieniemy harder, <laughs> and Bieniemy would have screamed right back at him, and then they would have hugged each other. He, you know, if Bieniemy was there, that's who he would have gone up yeah, to. Yeah, hundred percent. That was that was the guy. Yeah, and he would have probably done it more aggressively. My initial reaction was, "Oh man, you can't bump Big Red like that." Um, especially because you saw the way. I don't Big, think he meant to. No, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and. But I remember when all those things were happening. Um, you, I, you were on. It was like you know during Christmas break or whatever, and and you were gone. And I I said to Jake like, when your team loses and you're having these moments on the sideline, it's because there's there's trouble, there's there's crisis with the team, and you know there's bad chemistry and there's problems. When you have these moments and the team wins. It's look at what fiery competitors they are. Look He's at how, a competitive you know, prick. You look at how, how much they care. And I remember when I saw that bump happen, the thing I thought was, if they win this game, this is going to be one of those examples of how much these guys are fiery competitors that care. If they lose the game, everyone's going to make a bigger deal out of this than it should be and say, oh, see, there's a lack of this. Some people are still trying to make a bigger deal out of it than it is. Jake, you what did you uh, think of uh, Tom Brady and Larry Fitzgerald's thoughts? I think they were spot on. I mean, how can we 
How can we honestly put ourselves in that position when we haven't competed at the highest level? And I mean, we don't have the relationship that those two guys have with each other. Right, but you don't know. You do not know the intensity of an, a, a, not only an NFL fo- game, but the Super Bowl, the the biggest game of of all games, the highest level of all competitive competitions. Do you guys remember the shot of Chris Jones during the national anthem, crying, just tears just streaming down his face? Sure. You know, yeah. How many guys do you see doing that during the national anthem? You know, a lot. Quite a few. Super Bowl, you know, I mean, that's they're 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 realizing a dream. That's what's going on. They're realizing a dream because when you start playing sports, your dream is to get to the the highest level of whatever sport you're playing at, and that's what's going on. And so how can we possibly emotionally understand what that would be like? You know, it's easy for us. Those two can. Yeah, that we just listen. To. I mean, that's, that's one why, thing. Yeah, yeah that's I put why value into what they say. Absolutely, you put it has depth and weight because they've 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 been there. They know what that's like, and so I mean, I I, I think they, they nailed it, you know, because Andy Reid reacted the way he reacted, and and Travis said, I'm I'm not the player I am without that guy. There's no way I'm here without that guy. I love that man. Right, and that's the relationship, and that's why it works. And I think Lebo nailed it too. Is it, yesterday when we're talking about it, it's like, hey, remember, Big Red went up and bumped Kelsey earlier in the season in that Raiders game, bumped him. Yep. So it's like that. Like this isn't new. That's where I mean this. this so to make anything more, to to make a meal out of this is it, it's you're looking for stuff, man. You're, you're just and look, winning is the greatest deodorant, right? And, and you said it, is it? like. I think so. Yeah. I mean, when I was winning, I smelled pretty damn good. Mm. <laughs> but, How were you smelling last yeah. night when you were How, about when <laughs> How did you smell when you were live Stinky. betting the second half of the KU game? Stinky. Right. Smelly. I think it, it was people are making the people that want to continue to make a big deal out of it. Yes. I think when you see it live and you're not as I mean, we're all emotionally invested in the game. Chiefs fans are fired up. But when I saw it, it was like, oh man, he kind of got after Big Red there. Like that was a little. And it, they were they were losing, and they just had a fumble. It, it just kind of caught you. Even I mean, the it's just a, it's just a bad. Like, it's just a bad run of play. Like, yeah, you literally, you 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 the the emotion that swung in that in that like you see the fumble, you see him bump Big Red, and you're like, oh no, like this is this is falling apart for the team, bro. I'm so sorry for putting more work on you. So, you know, I had, you, oh, you had to clean up that we're good. bomb. We're good. Um, I'm going to need you to, at, at some point, uh, have you seen this video of Marshawn Lynch walking <laughs> around a Vegas casino, <laughs> eating wings with a microphone, tormenting 49ers fans after the game? No. Yes. No. I, I, I'm obsessed and, with this video. And now. by the way, uh, that's not work. If you're putting that on me, that's uh, that's pure entertainment. <laughs> it just It's like a minute and a half of Marshawn Lynch walking around with food and a microphone tormenting 49ers fans. Well, we'll get that taken care we'll of. I mean, that's just, you know. <laughs> Right? Yeah. I mean, yes. That description fits what you want? Yeah. Okay, we'll take a break. I just retweeted it so you can take a look at that. It's only got 4 million views. It's not getting around there too much. Back into this on WHB. First and go at the three. Lining up in the clock at 10 seconds and ticking. In the shotgun, Mahomes. Four-man front. Receiver in motion. Low snap. He runs and he throws. Caught. Touchdown. It's caught. Hardman caught the ball. The Chiefs have won. The Chiefs have won. 
The entire bench empties. Chasing Mahomes in the end zone. Their third Super Bowl in five years. The Chiefs are back-to-back Super Bowl champions. It is a dynasty. The Chiefs have won Super Bowl 58. 25-22 in overtime. Yeah, no, it's um, it's legendary. I mean, just um, to be able to, no one's ever done it. And uh, we knew it's legendary to win back-to-back. I think eight other teams have done it. Um, we had heard it all week. We had talked to the guys about it, and we felt like we had the, the best opportunity that we had ever had to, to go out there and do that. And I fell short the year before. And so, I mean, all you could do is come back next year with a fresh mindset, knowing it's going to be even harder. Um, and uh, we got to continue to play our best football. Uh, we'll celebrate these next few weeks, and then we'll get right back at it. Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHP. Let's check in with former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio. Back-to-back, Joe. Back-to-back, baby. How about that? Back-to-back. First time, two decades, right? I mean, i I, got to be honest. Watching the last 20 years unfold since the Patriots did that, I I wasn't sure if anybody was ever going to be able to do it. You know, I mean – Obviously, this team did, and, and, and they were set up for it, you know, the way they've built this uh, built this team, uh, the way that Brett Beach and Andy and the Hunt family have built this team up. I mean, if there was a team that was going to do it, it was the Chiefs. But i got to be honest, man, I, it, was, it was a record that I didn't think would ever happen again based on just the parity in the league, you know, the amount of money that's being thrown around in free agency, and I didn't – I just wasn't sure it would ever happen, and, and that's just to me that's probably the most amazing thing that happened. Like the Chiefs won in overtime, they, the Super Bowl champs, all that. To me, that record, breaking that record, is is probably one of the most impressive things about this whole uh, this whole shooting match. And so um, I've been retweeting a lot of stuff, but one of the things I've been retweeting this morning, there's a clip of uh, the beast, Mike Pinnell, is, is absolutely overpowering Trent Williams and then shedding uh, his block and then getting his arms around Christian McCaffrey and driving him into the ground for no gain. And I bring that up because Nate's been on this for the past couple of days. Mike Pinnell w- was a godsend for the Chiefs down the stretch, especially if you factor in the injuries to Derek Noddy and then Charles Amenehu on the defensive line. And I think back to the first championship that the Chiefs won, Mike Pinnell was, you know, an unexpected contributor. You know, he helped mm-hmm. the Chiefs get the Super Bowl, uh, the first Super Bowl title after signing him late. They signed him on October 19th of 2019. Uh, you know, in the middle of the season, and he was an, a very important contributor down the stretch. Then after that, he, you know, he, he goes and he has a, a stint with the Bears. He was on the practice card with the Falcons and moved up with the Falcons, went back to the Bears. I mean, since that Super Bowl, that first Super Bowl against the 49ers, I mean, he played in, what, 14 games with the Chiefs the next year, 10 games in 2021 with the Falcons. 17 games with the Bears, started two. And then this year, wasn't with anybody. And then, what do you know, 
late in the season, the Chiefs sign him again on October 24th in October, and he becomes such an important contributor down the stretch and did what he did a couple of times to Trent Williams. What a what an unbelievable story. And you know how good Trent Williams is. He, I mean, Mike Pinnell was fabulous mm-hmm. down the stretch in the playoffs. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, this, there's so much to unpack there, Stephen, um, in, in this great analysis that, that you bring up about players like him. In, in that, number one, this organization has an unbelievable way of finding talent. Right, and it's because you know how much of a crapshoot it can be, right? Whether players going to make the transition from college ball to the NFL, whether they're going to be able to make the transition from one NFL scheme to another NFL team scheme, like it's really hard. Like to me, if you can if you can be at fifty, sixty, seventy percent of your capabilities as it relates to identifying talent, look, nobody's going to they're not going to win on all of them, but if you can do it in a higher percentage than the others, you're going to have an advantage. And the Chiefs have an uncanny – I don't even want to call it uncanny. They're practiced at it. They're skilled at it, right? It's not just luck. Um, So so there's there's that factor, is how good they are at identifying talent. But here's where I think they take it to the next level. This organization, and I've said this many times in many different ways, has an unbelievable skill – and I'm going to use the word knack again – for building a playbook around their players and fitting their players into the current playbook. And when they take those, they marry those two sort of philosophies and they get it right, it's magic. And I think that's what this organization does. I, you know, I don't want to make any comparisons to, you know, the Patriots for those who aren't Patriots fans, but that was something that Bill Belichick and that organization did for a really long time. It's what got them six Super Bowls, right? They, you look at the cast of characters in and out every year. Of course, there were consistencies, right? Yeah. Great. Always had Brady, uh, Gronk, but you know, they, they had their, their moments where their receiving core wasn't, you know, a plus across the board. Um, they had, you know, people on defense that a lot of people, Short of Teddy Bruschi, who you know does you know analysis on on the new, on TV, like a lot of people don't remember a lot of the defensive players that played for New England. They weren't. It wasn't like they had like the Bears '85 defense where you could name every guy, right? Or the the steel curtain of Pittsburgh back in the '70s. Like th- that's what the Chiefs do. They they just have an unbelievable taking those two things: is identifying talent and seeing what others don't see and then being able to mold the playbook around the players and then get the players to fit into the current plays, to me that is the secret sauce, and that is the magic wand that Andy Reid and Brett Beach have been waving for you know, the last six or seven years, and, and I think it's pretty, it's pretty magical. So, I mean, that, that's my analysis on, on a guy like that and, and, what he, and how he's doing it, and just look around. Look up and down that roster, and you look at the depth that they built where, you know, it could have been a disaster when, you know, Nick Bolton was hurt, Willie Gay was out, right? And here we are, they, break, they pick up Drew Tranquil, and he just comes to life, right? I mean, what he did for that defense as well this year, um, you know, he just, those are just two stories along, along the lines um, of what they've been able to do. And I think it's a testament to the ability to recognize talent and mold it. Allegretti stepped in for the best guard in football <laughs> and helped them 
close the game at Buffalo and beat the two best teams, so-called best teams in football. We know it's the Chiefs now, but that's another example, Nate Bucati. I mean, there's yeah. it's up, go ahead, Joe. It's up and down the roster. You can find uh, you know examples like that. Yeah, no, I was just I just going to say my man Nick. I mean, you know, a lot of vowels in his name. Wear seventy three, catch a touchdown here and there. Like we we have like this cross generational connection, and I love that guy. But that I I, I was rem, I am remiss for not you know putting him into that little mix too, and what they've done uh, with Nick and what he was able to do. So go ahead, Nate. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, that's okay. I I I'm just responding the same way you are to to back up your point about the the Chiefs adjusting their game plan based on the talent that they have. Steven pointed out these numbers that are pretty remarkable about the way they approach the 49ers passing game, that Mm -hmm. the Chiefs played cover zero over 21% of the snaps in this game. Nobody came close to that against the 49ers through the course of the year. They played cover one over 40% of the time, Mm -hmm. which was well over the average. I mean, nobody came close to that. And they played man coverage 64% of the time when the average that the 49ers saw through the course of the year was 30%. And it's not hard to figure out why they did it. They got McDuffie and Sneed out there. Uh, What does that tell you, first of all, about the, the confidence that Spags had in those guys and the job that they went out and did against that wide receiver core oh yeah i mean that that is that is years of experience it's also knowing that when you get into a big game like this you can't just follow the analytics right you can't just say oh well every team that played the 49ers you know they got into they only were in man 30 percent of the time i mean coach Spags knew what he needed to do right he needed he needed those guys to step up and he needed them to cover man-to-man so that he could put pressure and spy and do all the things that were going to take Brock Purdy out of his game and not let him just sit there in the pocket. Um, and I think they did a great job of, of making it look like they were going to give him time um, because they did, you know, they, if you watch, they, they, they rushed very disciplined. It was a very disciplined rush. Um, there was a lot of batted balls. There was a lot of hands going up. They weren't going to try to just drag him down and sack him Immediately, they knew that the 49ers, you know, Coach Bags knows they have a really solid offensive line. They have a fullback who can block. They have tight ends who can block. So, you know, getting to Brock Purdy like immediately and pulling the old, you know, sack like you know sack philosophy was going to be hard. And so, you know, he threw in some things that you know really I think threw Brock Purdy out of his game, which was you know a little bit of spy at the line, jump at the line, don't give him the view of the whole field. Uh, make him feel like he has time when he really doesn't have time. I mean, that was the magic of Spags. I mean, he, you know, that guy. I mean, you don't you don't win four Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator, um, you know, by by not knowing what the heck you're doing, right? And I think he just his maturity level, um, his ability to connect with the players, and again, following right along with the Andy Reid philosophy of building your playbook around those guys. I mean. That's what that's what Coach Spags does. Um, he knows his talent. He knows what he can do, and he gives those guys confidence. It's, it's 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 the what he did what he did on defensively with the defensive backs is a mirror image of what Coach Nagy and and Andy Reid did with people like MBS players like MBS McCall Hardman right where at times you know they know when to go back to a player. Um, and get their confidence level where they needed to be. I mean, I think about that catch that MBS made against Baltimore that, you know, only a coach who has 
complete confidence in you. And a quarterback, too, would have thrown that ball to MBS, right, after he dropped that one against the Eagles, you know, kind of cost them that big game, right, the Super Bowl matchup, rematch, et cetera. And they throw that ball to MBS because it just – they have – a great way about them in building confidence for their players, and and that's what Coach Bags did with uh, with the defensive backfield for sure. Hey Joe, we we uh, we had Bill Moss on the show yesterday. He had some really uh, uh, emotional words about what this meant to him, and so for all all the, all of you guys that you know, spent time playing for the Chiefs and you know giving up blood, sweat, and tears for this organization of the city, I just want to end it by you know giving you the opportunity to tell us. What what it means to you to see your your team, because you'll always be a chief. Your team win back to back Super Bowl championships, with a real chance to go out there and become the first team to ever win three Super Bowls in a row next year. What does this mean to you? Oh, it's it means the world. And and you know, came on my birthday, which was fantastic. Happy birthday! birthday. Thank you, Chiefs uh, Kingdom. Um, but no, it, it, it means the world because you know. Without without it sounding you know egotistical or whatever, um, you know you, you hope that as somebody who was part of an organization that the players that are playing today feel like they're standing on your shoulders, right? And that you're all helping each other get to that point where. But that doesn't happen with every organization. So I think feel, feeling the emotion of what happens with the Chiefs is a lot different maybe than it would happen for other organizations who don't have the familial feel that the Hunt family have put forth. You know, they truly have instilled a family feel of the Kansas City Chiefs. When I think back to when I was playing and I think when I was, you know, when Bobby Bell and and Ted McKnight and Larry Marshall and all those guys, you know, just to name a few, would come to practice and be the ambassadors and we'd see them there and they would come to the alumni game and, like, you you just felt like they felt a part of something, and I think that really stems from the top, right? It goes back to the Hunt family and the culture that they've built. Um, to me, that is why Bill and I and every other player who feel that emotional tie to these to these wins is because of what the Hunt family has done. Coaches have changed, general managers have changed. You know, there's maybe five or six people in the whole organization, you know, on, in the almost 30 years since I've been there, um, that, are, that, are, that are there. But what is the one, you know, what is the one true constant? It's the Hunt family and the culture that, that Lamar has instilled in Clark and the rest of the family. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty special to be a part of. And I got to say, I don't know for a fact, but I can't imagine that there are other organizations that would feel the same way uh, about that. If they, if you know, how a player who played in the '90s, if the team won Super Bowls today, um, if it weren't, weren't the Chiefs, how, how other players would feel about? It. They'd be happy. You know, oh, that's cool. You know, my team, my old team won. I don't know. The Chiefs family, the Chiefs kingdom, it and the community there make it feel like I never left. Joe, as always, thank you so much for the time. We love talking football with you, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Awesome, guys. Have a great day. Enjoy enjoy the win. Enjoy the parade. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, we'll be thinking about you at that parade. All right, buddy? You got it. Thanks, Joe. That's uh, Joe Valerio, former Chiefs offensive lineman. We'll take a break back after this on WHP.